Well, if you would, if you'd open your Bibles to Micah, it's uh, one of the minor prophets, minor in terms of length, but not in terms of, of, of inspiration or any of those types of things. As you're turning there, um, I'd like to share two portraits into the life of, of our family in, the la- in la- just the last week, and I know some of you don't have children, and some of you aren't parents or are young adults, but I think we can all relate to these two stories. The first was this. It was Monday night, and it was just before bedtime, and um, and for purposes of illustration, I won't, it, could, it could have been my son or my daughter, but we'll say it was my daughter, and she came down from, from getting ready from bed, and she saw her, her son or her brother outside uh, playing with her next door neighbor outside in the front yard. And so she asked me if she could go out and, and play in the, in the yard as well with the other friend. And I said no for a couple of reasons. And the response I got was, but Daddy, my brother's outside. That's not what? That's not fair. Exactly. And I thought, oh, you of all people to complain about fairness. This is the one who, if they have to share a candy bar, right, she breaks it and tries to measure exactly which one is the, and tries to angle for anything. Or if she has to, you know, put the, the cups or the, out on for dinner, she's the one who has to get the perceived best one. I'm not sure what the grading scale of, is the, of the cups is, but she is always the one who angles for uh, the best cup. And so it doesn't matter if things are to her advantage, but the first slight of unfairness, of injustice, there is chaos. Or the second story is this. It was uh, the day before. It was last Sunday night, and uh, I asked one of my children to do something. No response. And typically we try to enforce a rule of, obey immediately the first time, and I, for whatever reason, I thought that the person, the child didn't hear me, so I said again the second time, I asked them to do this thing, and there was no response, and so I was feeling uncharacteristically uh, gracious and charitable, so I decided I would ask a third time, and uh, there was no response, and so after three non-responses, I had to resort to a little bit more drastic measures, um, but I thought, if you can relate to any of those stories, either one of those stories, I thought, boy, in a small way, this is how Micah is feeling. You know, he talks and talks about to these, these people, and there is no response. There's no listen. Even in the, spite, uh, in, in, the in the midst of great injustice, far worse than uh, who's getting a bigger candy bar, or who's getting a, a bigger cup, or a better cup. There's great injustice that's going on, and Micah is telling the people and the nation of Israel, hey, if, if things don't change, there's going to be judgment. And there's no response and no response. And so, well, as we'll see in Micah 3, that he steps it up a level and gets a little bit more dr- dramatic or drastic. So let's, let's read. And if you remember, if you were here, or, or more importantly, if you remember uh, last, I think it was April, I preached on Micah 1 and 2. And what we said then was, Micah is not necessarily just a, a book of, of from one to, chapter 1 to, to 7 just to be read as, as one continuous theme, but rather it was um, three messages in, in a long ministry of Micah. They're, the first ministry is really chapters 1 and 2, the first sermon rather, 
the second sermon is chapters 3 through 5, and then the final sermon is, is the last two chapters of the, of, the chap, of the book, chapters 5 and 6. So we'll be looking at the first part of his second message here in Micah 3, starting in verse 1. And he says this, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off of my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them, and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not answer them. He will hide His face from them from at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead My people astray, they, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against Him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put, into shame, put to shame. They shall all cover the lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob and his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall be a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5 says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established to the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall be a judge between, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken." For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. And so what we see here is, is point number one is how should things be? And in verse one, here we see in the encapsulation and the summary of all the Old Testament. He says, And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? And all throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is a God of justice. We, for we see in Deuteronomy 10, 17, and 18, He says, For the Lord is your God, 
is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving food and clothing to him. So we see that in all the Old Testament, there's many verses like that that say God is a God of justice. And so he says, as individuals in the nation, you should be men and women of justice as well. So in the next verse he says this, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Or when he gives the law, Moses gives the law in Deuteronomy 24, he says, when you're going to harvest, he says, leave some for the sojourner, for the fatherless and for the widow. Or when you are going and you're beating your olive tree, leave some olives on the branch so that the poor and the sojourner and the fatherless can have them. Or in Leviticus 19, he says, when you're reaping, again, when you are, uh, don't reap to the very edge, leave some, again, for the, for the, for the poor. Or when you are harvesting your grapes, it says, leave some for the poor and the sojourner. So not just for the individuals who are in the nation, but he says also for the nation of Israel. They are to be men and women of justice. And so we see this in in Deuteronomy 1. uh, And we also see this in Exodus 18 when Jethro is seeing Moses. And Moses is judging the people from sun up to sun down. And Jethro says, this is, this is too much. And so, he's, so through the word of the Lord, Jethro says to Moses, look for able men who are all the, look for the able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the peoples as chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties and tens. And so he puts a structure in place. Also in Deuteronomy 16, he says this, You shall appoint judges, officers in all your towns in the Lord, that the Lord your God is giving to you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. They shall not pervert justice. You shall not know partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord is giving to you. So it's, it's these rulers that are supposed to be men and women of justice. And so as, as that was when they were in the Exodus, and so there were these judges. But then the, the people of, of Israel said, no, we want a king. But the, the, the commandment was, was still the, the same, is that these kings were supposed to be men of justice. As we saw, in the, there's a familiar story that many of you know of, of Solomon and the two prostitutes, right? The, the, one of the two prostitutes come to Solomon and one says, you know, I just had recently, five days ago, had, had a son. And, and as a, this other woman, this other prostitute had a son as well. And as we were sleeping last night, she rolled over and her baby died. And so in this, my sleep, she, she switched babies. And then the second says, no, it's not that way at all. It's just the opposite. I was sleeping and this other one rolled in and killed her baby and swapped them. So you, many of you know the story. Solomon says, grab me a sword. And so he says, divide it in two and let each have half. And one says, no, let the, let the, this other, let the second woman have the, the baby for it is better that one baby should live. And then, but the other one says, no, divide it in, in half so that we can each get half. And so Solomon, in justice and in righteousness, and to show his great wisdom that the Lord had given him, he says, give it to the first woman, for she is truly the, the mother of that, that uh, son. 
And we, so we see this also in Psalm 82 where God says, Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So not only are there kings and there rulers who are supposed to be men of justice, but there were also the prophets and the priests. There was the commandments, the laws of God that were handed down. And these prophets and priests were to be to, to go forth and to issue the word of the Lord and to give these laws and these commandments that all the people were to follow. Now, don't we all know that this is the way it should be? There is a way in which we all know what is right and wrong, or when there is justice and injustice. I, mean, I don't have to give you any examples of movies or of books where there is great injustice being done. And right, We all want the superhero to come in and save the day to eliminate the injustice that is going on in the story. I think it is also interesting that even if uh, maybe there may be some of you today that may not believe in the Bible, may not believe in, in God, but even so, I think even an avowed atheist would agree that there is a way in which we are to treat one another. There is a way in which morality should exist. The difference comes in where does that come from and, 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 who, who, is the, the, and who decides what that, where that whose morality should trump one another. But the, there is a consensus in, in a way that we all agree that there is a way in which things should be, in a way in which what is right and what is wrong. But we see in verses 2 through 11, this is not the way it is. And so Micah says in, in brash, in defiant words, he says, hear you people. All, I'm sorry, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, he says, You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin off of My people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of My people and flay their skin from off of them, and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. And as I thought about this, I, I thought about... Um, now, some of you who maybe didn't grow up in a Christian home or in this Christian subculture, maybe that you won't get this analogy, but I, I thought that uh, about the, the whole commercialization of Christianity, right? There's, um, I, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I think there, there's, there's positives and there's, there's negatives of this, but um, I think it was, isn't it interesting that we take a lot of these passages, these inspirational verses from from the Bible, and we we put them all over on our uh, we put them on mugs uh, like about wings mounting up as wings of eagles, or we'll put them on uh, just about anything that can be put on now. And I mean, it's always interesting to me. Uh, some of them are very good things. Some of the, some are good T-shirts. Some are very bad uh, illustrations. But it's always interesting what. Um, passages or what verses get put into these t-shirts or into these mugs. Uh, I thought about, I was, um, I, I, I don't know where I stand again, but in high school I, I remember I had this this shirt, this t-shirt that I wore quite a bit. And back then there was, if you guys remember the Gold's Gym, the Gold's Gym t-shirt was like the, all the fat. Well, I had this, I, it wasn't a spoof, but it was a playoff of that, and it said God's Gym. And the image was of Samson between these two pillars. And for the life of me... Uh, hold on. Sorry. Um, and so the, for the life of me, I never quite understood 
what the shirt really meant. And there was a verse in the back that was completely ripped out of context about something about we'll be able to conquer all of our enemies. And I wore it all the time, and I still I tried to find it on the Internet. And I was like, I'm sure it's got to be somewhere, and I couldn't find it. But anyway, it, all to say, I don't know who's the the jury of who gets these t-shirts, but I thought, you know, what better verses to be on t-shirts than these, right? So I asked uh, a great graphic artist, S.R. Brandon, to design a t-shirt. And so if you want a t-shirt, here's the image. I thought, there you go. That's. Um, so I, I told him, I said, well, maybe you can put a little bit of red there. And he said, well, he, he actually tried that and it was a little bit too much. So, um, but if you want some T-shirts, I can, I'm sure I can make them up. We can have a sign-up sheet out back. But um, anyway, I'm not sure what the, the point of that was, other than that's a big rabbit trail. Other, other than, um, uh, you know, I, I thought about this all week, and the, and the question is, is, is this literally literal? Do you think the leaders were literally doing this? Were literally tearing the skin off of their people? And I think the answer is no in the sense that this is that we really don't have any other any examples of this occurring in the Old Testament. We have a couple of examples, as we'll talk about in the future, of people sacrificing their children to other gods as sacrifices. But um, I think what, the, what Micah is doing here is this, the people would say, no, we're not doing that at all. And he's saying, exactly. But when you are being unjust, as we'll see with the bribes and people paying you, what you're doing is, is just the same thing. You are... You are, you are Subverting justice for the weak and for the powerless who, in the nation of Israel. And so we see that all throughout here. And, and what is worse is in Deuteronomy 28, when, the, when Moses gives the law, he says there's two ways to go. He said Moses is about to die and he says, there, you can go this way and you can do what's right. And here's what's going to happen. There's going to be great blessings that will come upon you. And you will, you will tread upon your enemies and you will... You will lay them waste, or you can go this other way and you can not follow the Lord, but here's what's going to happen, is you will be destroyed by all the nations. But what's happening here is that it's not the nations that are overcoming them, it's their own leaders. If you look in verse, uh, verse 5, it's the prophets who are supposed to tell the people which way they should go. It says, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead My people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat but declare war against them. And it's not only the prophets. We see in verse 9, it's also the rulers, those who are the head of the house. It says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. So it's not only the prophets. It's not only the, the, those rulers, the kings, the heads of Israel. But it's also the priests. Look in verse 11, it says, Its heads give judgment for a bribe. It's priests as well. Teach for a price. And it's prophets practice divination for money. So we see that all of God's structure is broken down. The prophets, the priests, the kings, the rulers are all corrupt. They're all judging for food, for money. And we see this as, as if you go back to verse 1 in chapter 1, we know that Ahaz, or Ahaz was a king while Micah was a prophet. And Ahaz was perhaps the worst king of all. He was the one that offered his son to other gods as a sacrifice, as a living baby. How much more unjust can it be? Here are the men and women who are supposed to be 
fighting for the rights of the poor and the oppressed. And they are the ones who are getting rich off of their, the poor. We saw that in, in chapter 2, if you remember. There's um, these men and women who covet fields in chapter 2, verse 2, and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house. Or in verse 9, the woman of my people you drive out from their delightful houses and from their young children you take away. And so, there was a right way to do things, there was a wrong way to do things, and then there was a legal way to do things. These people were, le- were legally being able to do these things, but they were, it was in an unjust way. They were displacing the poor, displacing the woman beca- women because they desired their lands, and so they took them. But, but I, I, Micah alone was on an island. He says this, I am the one, in verse 8, who is filled with power and with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might. But it wasn't only the rulers to blame, was it? It was because somebody had to be giving them the bribes. Somebody had to be paying the price to them. It was those who were rich, those who were in authority, who were giving them the bribes. It was like Isaiah says in chapter 30, verse 10 through 11, And you you say to seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more of the Holy One of Israel. So these leaders have used this power that is easily manipulated and got rich off the backs of the weak and the oppressed. And all the time, they are saying this, They're very presumptuous and saying, God won't do anything. In the end of verse 11, he says, Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No danger shall come upon us. They're saying, We can pervert justice because the Lord won't do anything to us. Now, we don't have to go far to see this either, do we? We see great injustices throughout all the world. You don't have to hop online for very long. You don't have to turn on the news. You don't have to open the paper for very long to see injustice after injustice. In fact, I was just thinking about the Chicago Tribune. They have a, an article, a section called, What's Your Problem? I don't know if any of you get it. And it's, uh, well, it started off as just a, a, a man who, who is a, a writer for the Tribune. And he, he sees people write to him about things that are wrong. And then he goes and tries to make it right. Usually they've been defrauded from a, you know, a phone company or something like that. Or, or any number of, uh, of a rental uh, agreement or something like that, and he goes and tries to make things right. And it's, it became so popular that it became, I, I know it's at least a weekly thing, if not a daily thing, where there is so much where there is injustice. There's a, I work for a, a rather large company, and we have created a division, a department called the Office of Compliance. And what that is, it's at our headquarters in New Jersey, and, and it, there's dozens of people working for the Office of Compliance just because there is, there is such a propensity of unethical behavior, of un- injustice being done, that we have to set up a whole Office of Compliance for our company to try to ensure that some sort of righteousness is performed just, just in, the, in the law of the land. Well, but even worse, we see this in the church. There are people who have means who are able to manipulate the systems or manipulate the way they do things to get the better of things. I was just reading uh, two, uh, well, I was listening to a pastor 
about two weeks ago, and he's a pastor in uh, First Baptist Church in, in North Carolina. And he said when he got there, there was this small group of people. They weren't leaders, but they were a handful of people. And what they would do is they would, they would give their money in such a way throughout the, the year so that their causes would get funded and other causes wouldn't get funded. So when it became time to give to missions, amazingly, since they were the biggest givers of the church, funds would just, just drop off, would be non-existent. And they, couldn't, they had to greatly reduce their missions giving. Or, or, or when it's time to, to, for the next year's budget, drop, the giving would just plummet. And then the budget would have to be you know, axed and things would have to get modified and then the budget would get approved and amazingly, the money would just come flowing in. And so there's, there's great ways in which um, and many of you know stories in which people have manipulated within the church and caused justice and injustice to be done. But then we see in verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse 12, the third point. Here's what the way things will be. The way it will, will be. And Micah says this through the word of, or God says this through the word of Micah. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. There is judgment that is going to come. And he says to the seers in verse 11, the seers shall be, dis- or verse 7, the seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. He's saying that there is great judgment that's coming. It's like saying northern Illinois is going to be plowed as a field. Rockford will become a heap of ruins and your house will just be a small sod hill that oak trees will grow from. And so the question is, did this happen? Well, if you would, if you would turn back, I think to one of the most fascinating passages in all the Bible, in Jeremiah 26. It's one of the very few instances in which one Old Testament prophet quotes another prophet. Jeremiah wrote after the time of Micah, but he says this in verse 18 of Jeremiah 26. Micah of Moresheth, this Micah, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall be a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. And here's what happened. Listen, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? No, but rather, did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he pronounced against them? But Jeremiah, or the... the, and then they talk about them wanting to put Jeremiah to the death here uh, in the end of the verse. But what we see is, is in Micah, he prophesies this to Hezekiah. He's saying there is going to be, the Lord is going to plow Zion as a field. What happened is Hezekiah repented. And the Lord relented and he says, no, I will not do this. At least Hezekiah won't do, do this in your time. He ended up doing it a hundred years later. But the Lord, because of Hezekiah's repentance, did not do as he had promised until a hundred years later. But it was overcome by Babylon a hundred years later. So the question to us is, what does this all mean? How does this apply to us? And I think that there's a very obvious application here. Number one, for those of us who are leaders in the church, there's a responsibility 
There's a responsibility to be men of, to lead the church in a just way and to proclaim the Word and to care for those who are in this body. There's all, verses all over throughout the New Testament. While we aren't directly called to provide the needs of those outside the church, we are specifically called to provide for the needs of those in the church. In James 2 it says, as, um, If a brother is, or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it is not, does not have works, is dead. Or 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So we are called for those is talking about a brother or sister, those who are in this, this family, in this fellowship, we are to provide for those. Uh, uh, Bob Clinton last week, he talked about, he had a book called Compassion, Justice, and the Christian Life. All of us as leaders have gone through that. I highly recommend it if you want a copy. Uh, I have a couple copies. But the, we're working through how it, can we be better at a, and more effective as helping justice to be perpetuated throughout uh, Rock Valley Bible Church with our body of with our brothers and sisters here, and the other, there's also a caution and a warning for us leaders are to be more accountable. In James three one it says, "Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that you who teach will be judged with greater strictness." So the warning and the command to us is: these prophets and priests, they were uh, they were just preaching whatever people wanted to. To give them money for. And so they were saying, bad things won't happen. Life is going to be good. So there's a responsibility for us as pastors and leaders to preach all of the Word, to speak in a way that is truthful yet loving. And we are to keep watch over those underneath us. And I would just say this, um, being a leader is very difficult. I, <clears throat> you know, before uh, we came here, uh, we came here because we were looking at a whole bunch of different churches about five or six years ago, and we, I had problems with all of them. And we just came to Rock Valley because it was the least of bad of the of the bad. And um, and even when I came here, I was critical about just about everything. And then slowly, you know, I became part of the problem. You know, I became I started to become more and more involved in leadership. And even now. Many of the leaders, I don't know if they would admit to it, but many times there's a, we have our meetings and I'm very famous for just going off and complaining about how bad things are, or not how bad things are, but of, of an issue that we need, to, that, need, that is not right. And so usually one of the, Phil or, or Ray or, or Steve will say, okay, well, what should we do about it? And I'm like, well, I don't know what, what we should do, but it, this is just not right, you know. Um, but I, but I would just say uh, there's no secret that in any church there is no perfect church, and if there is, you should. If, it's not the perfect church, um, and it, so I would just say uh, um, the first thing you could do for us as leaders is to to pray for us, pray that we would be men of justice, pray that we would uh, uphold the word, that we would rightly divide the word of truth. 
Um, so secondly, I would say that, well, before I, I say that, I would say that um, the other thing is that, you know, Steve is getting older. We are all getting older as leaders. I'm the youngest of the bunch. We need men to come up underneath us. And so I, w- I would say to, to you younger adults or you children, we need, if, if there's not men who come up underneath us in 10 or 15 years, though this church is growing and is, uh, is doing well at this point, it will shrink and it will die if we don't have leaders who come up alongside us and, and behind us. And so the, what I would say to you young men and young women is that what would you want to, what would, what you, sh- what should you do at this point? And I would just say you should do this is be faithful in what you've been given. Uh, there, Steve talked about the parable of the talents, right? It's a well-known parable Jesus talked about in two weeks ago of three men who were given talents by their master. One was given five, one was given two, one was given one. And the master came back and rebuked the one who only gave him the one back. The others doubled it. And so if you desire to be, as a man, to be in a a position of leadership in this church, I'd say that it is a great and it is a noble goal. And I would just call you to be faithful in what you've been given. That means faithful to your parents, to listen to them. But secondly, I guess the, the, the other application for us is that we are not to manipulate. As, as Phil read in James 2, we are to not try to manipulate the system or to give in such a way that our needs get met and other needs don't get met. Uh, we are not, not to do that. We are to not to manipulate the system. And I would just say that as leaders, clearly we aren't um, perfect. We aren't the greatest leaders. But are we faithful to the Word? Are we trying to do in our power justice and righteousness? And the other thing is, it doesn't do any good to anybody, right? If, if injustice or, we just say, or Steve just comes up here and just says what we all want to hear, right? Because what he says is, in Micah, he says, is the whole nation will be plowed as a field. Everybody's going to be suffer, going to suffer. There will be more punishment for those who are the seers, the prophets, the priests, the kings. But everybody's going to be hurt if untruth is spoken. And then thirdly, I would say this. There is a responsibility for any of you who are leaders. Many of you may not be in a position of leadership here, but you are leaders. Are you fathers? Are you Mothers, are you husbands, are you wives? Are you in a position of leadership in your workplace? If that's the case, you are to be a leader. You are to be fight for justice and try to do what is right. And then lastly, as we try to do that, I think that even in that there is a danger. As we try to alleviate the wrongs, there I think is a, is a big danger between the haves and the have-nots. Right? We see the one person says, well, I am financially well off. I have all of these means. I'm going to be like the, the one who, who reaches down and helps this person. So this other person treats it as though they are the ones who are completely in poverty. And I would just say that is a, shows a, a great lack of understanding in the fact that we are all in poverty. Whether it is um, maybe mo- most fundamentally we all have a spiritual poverty, right? There's nothing that we can do in order to be part of and earn God's love. 
other than Christ and his belief and our belief in that. So we are all in a position of poverty. There, none of us can be little mini saviors and reach down and help these people out. Maybe we have a poverty that's maybe different. Maybe some of us are, are well, have, are, have, are well off because you have a poverty of what you, of understanding what work is like. Some of you are workaholics and you work 70 hours a week and so yeah, you have a lot of money, but it's because you don't understand rest and work and you have a poverty of understanding of that. But most basically, we all have a spiritual poverty. But then, verse chapter 4, it talks about not the way it will, will be, but the way it really will be. Now, reading verse 1, it seems to be a direct conflict to chapter 3, because it says, The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Well, right before that, he just says, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall be a heap of ruins. And the next breath, he says, there's going to be this mountain that's going to be higher than everything else. And even that is a judgment on these people. For it says in the first part, for it shall come to pass in latter days, or in the last days. So he's saying, you know what? This is going to be the case, but it's not for you people. It's going to come later on. For you, judgment is coming. Zion will be a heap of ruins. It will be decimated, but for you... But at a later time, this will be the case. We, now we also see that this is a miraculous thing. Look in the, verse, in the end of verse 1. It says, people shall flow to it. And all the commentators basically agree. They say this is a miraculous thing. It's like the imagery is of water. And water is usually, if, it's, if we're not in space, it flows downhill, right? Well, here people are flowing, are streaming up to the mountain of the Lord. The other thing to to notice here is that this is the Lord's doing. Verse 2, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that that we may walk in His paths. And what they're saying is, this is only true to the extent that we put our faith and our trust in Christ. This isn't going to be true. These words will not be true by just nations or the United Nations signing a bunch of peace treaties. This won't be true by secular institutions helping and alleviating those who are starving and poor and weak, or even the church doing good works. This is going to, be hap- this is going to exist in the, to the extent that people will walk in His paths and to the extent that we listen to Him teaching us His ways. But not only that, we are assured that it will happen. Look at the end of verse 4. It says, For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken this. So this is going to happen. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. And not only this, but look about look at this is that before in chapter three there was there were rulers of the nation of Israel, and they were the one who were decimating all the nation of Israel. Well now it's not only is all of Israel made right, the nation of Israel, but all nations are coming. It says um, that many nations in verse two shall flow shall come and say, Let us go to the house and to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So the question is, when will this happen? When will we see people calling on the Lord? When will we, we see people walking in His paths? There are some that say, well, this is only a time in the future. This is only the time after us. And I would say, first of all, I would, I would argue 
First, this happened in a small way in Israel before the coming of Christ. For we know that Babylon, that the uh, nation of uh, uh, the northern nations, the ten northern tribes were already decimated and would no more come back. But there are still the two southern nations. And a hundred years later from this, Babylon would destroy them. But there was a resurgence of Israel in a small part when Ezra and Nehemiah came and restored the temple and restored the nation. But in a greater part, there was a restoration of this when Christ came. For in John 12.32, Jesus is speaking, He says, And I, when I am lifted up from heaven, I will draw all people to Myself. We see that here. It says all nations will come. Well, in Christ, all nations can come. It's not just for the nation of Israel. It's from people from Nepal. It's from people from India. It's from people from America. From Jews and Gentiles. Because it was Jesus who was the perfect prophet. He was the great high priest. He was the one who was the impartial king. He restored all of the nation's imperfect structures. And he suffered the greatest injustice on the cross. Well, that's not exactly completely fulfilled though, is it? We all know that in some ways it's, it's fulfilled in part, but it's not fulfilled in total. But maybe a story would, would help. I got this from a sermon from Richard Phillips. He talks about Jacob DeShazer. Maybe some of you have heard him. He was an airman in the Doolittle Raiding. As many of you know, the, we got involved in World War II through the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And so in response to that, there was a, a small fleet of, of bombers that would go over and they would bomb Tokyo. And J- Jacob DeShazer was one of those, was, was one of those pilots. And so they flew over, but the, the problem was they, they, flew off of, they flew off of an aircraft carrier, but they didn't have enough of gas to get back. So the hope was that they would land in China and, you know, toil there or somehow get safely back. Well, what ended up happening is they, they bombed Tokyo. It had very little effect, but he had to parachute out along with all of his, his other, the other men in the plane. He was taken captive. And for 36 out of 40 months... Of the, of the war, he was in solitary confinement. In Tokyo, there, there was great anger over this bombing. And so he was treated to, to public torture, to public ridicule, and was beaten and starved. Many of his, his, his fellow soldiers uh, were, did starve to death. Many were, um, were beaten to death. Many were executed. But in the course of his solitary confinement, what happened was one of the, one of the um, people who were holding him captive gave him a, a Bible, and it was confiscated from an American missionary's house. And so he read it, and he started in the Old Testament, and he read all the way through the Old Testament until he got to the New Testament. And then he says this, I read of the birth of Jesus Christ, of one who actually fulfilled the very prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, and the other Old Testament writers. And my heart rejoiced as I found confirmed in Acts 10.43 to Him give all the prophets witness that through His name whosoever believeth on Him shall receive remission of sins. So it was at that point he believed in Christ and he said this, I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes and that when I looked at the Japanese officers and guards who had starved me and beaten me, I found my bitter hatred for them changed into loving pity. 
I read in my Bible that those who, that crucified Jesus on the cross had beaten him and spit upon him. He tenderly prayed in his moment of excruciating suffering, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now, from the depths of my heart, I prayed to God to forgive my tortures too. Well, he survived the war. And so in, in, December, in December of 1948, he and his wife Florence went. They went back to J- Japan. And they served as missionaries. And in 1959, DeShazer moved to Nagoa to establish a Christian church in the city that he had bombed. Here in a small part is the fulfillment where it talks about swords being beat into plowshares or spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up nation, sword against nation. Or there's another story. Mitsuo Fushida, who was the commander of the army, of the Japanese Air Force, he was the one who gave the, the command, Torah, Torah, Torah. And throughout all of the civil, or throughout all of the World War II, he became a great hero. But obviously Japan lost the war and the nation was, had become destitute. He had lost many of his fellow soldiers. He, and so he fell into a deep depression. He drank heavily. And it was at one time a missionary handed him a book entitled, or an article entitled, I Was a Prisoner of Japan by Jacob de Caesar. And he was interested and he was fascinated that this man who had suffered great injustice at the hand of, of the Japanese was able to forgive because of Christ and had gone back to Japan to the very place where he was so suffered such injustice. And so then Fushida did this. He brought, bought a Bible. And he read in Luke and it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he says this, I realized he was praying about me. Right at that moment, I read that prayer. I met Jesus for the first time. I understood the meaning of his death as a substitute for my wickedness. So in prayer, I requested Him to forgive my sins, to change me from a bitter, disillusioned ex-pilot into a well-balanced Christian with a godly purpose for living. Well, it didn't end well for him at first. He was persecuted by many of the people in Japan. In fact, one of his, the men who was his subordinates one time took a sword to his throat and said, I used to admire you, but I think I should kill you now. And Fushida, all he did was he... He explained the change that had taken place in his life, and he gave him a Bible, at which point the soldier went off. <clears throat> um, but what he did was he became a, uh, a missionary, and he loved to go preach all, all throughout Japan, and a couple of times he was able to preach at Pearl Harbor, the very place where he was able to inflict the death and suffering of, upon dozens of people he was able to go talk about the forgiveness and the hope that God gives in, the, in, in injustice. And there were some times where he, he then would, would meet up with Jacob de Caesar and they would go throughout all Japan as missionaries and preaching about the, the hope of God, of how sh- swords can be beaten into plowshares, of spears can be turned into pruning hooks. Well, we see that in part. I think that's a good example of the small ways in which this great promise in verses 4, 1 through 5 will happen. But it will not happen in completion. 
There is a time where all things will be made right. When God will be the great God of justice. Where He will judge between many peoples. And He shall decide for nations afar off. And every man shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, I would just say this. Um, every, in verse 4, it talks about every man shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. What is interesting is if you go back to Isaiah 36, there is a time when Assyria has come and they have surrounded Jerusalem. And Hezekiah is the king. And there, are, there, is, a, there is a messenger from Assyria. And he comes and he says... To, to the people, if you, you want to turn there in Isaiah 36, verse 16. He says this. Isaiah 36, 16. The messenger says, Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one will, of you will eat from his own vine, and each one of you of his own fig tree, and each one will drink the water of his own cistern. And what he's saying is usually there was what they meant by having their own fig tree or living under their own vine was that that was a significant or symbolic of being having peace, of having prosperity, of being a source of significance. And so Micah here is saying if you trust Christ, ultimately you will every man will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall be afraid. But the messenger from Assyria is saying had prophesied something different. He said, just don't listen to Hezekiah. Come out from the siege. You, you, you're being starved off. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Come, come with us. And you can have your, your significance. You can have your, uh, your peace and your prosperity with us in Assyria. But we know that Hezekiah did not, and the people did not believe. And so Assyria was, at that time, the Lord relented. And so they wiped out the Assyrians. So the question for us is... Um, because I haven't really said anything that you probably don't know. But the question for us is, in those difficult times, in those crucibles, when life is hard, when we're surrounded, we feel like we're ensieged, where will we find our significance? Will we find our significance in other things, in other things of life that will promise us peace and prosperity? Or will we look forward to the time when Christ will give us a time where every man will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. So where is your significance today? Where is your peace? Where is your prosperity? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words. I thank you that we can look forward to a day when everything will be made right, where there will be no injustice, where you will be the judge. We thank you that it is all because of you being the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And that it was, we pray that in life circumstances that we would look for you to be our source of hope and our source of justice in the midst of other things. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Right. Phil has an announcement, and then you guys are dismissed.